good thing, something I wish I, 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 I helped more at, is, is taking a truth of Scripture, something it is that God tells us to do, and stepping into that. There's one thing about knowing, but there's also this thing about doing what we know. And it's been said of Christians in our era that our greatest problem is not that we don't know enough. Our greatest issue is doing something more with what we do know. I don't necessarily need to know more. I need to do more with what I do know. Now, I think the two go together. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think we should be knowing more. And I think we should be doing something more with what it is that we know. And that is really Galatians chapter 6. Now, I'm tired this morning. I don't know if you noticed as I came up the stairs, but I'm a little stiff. We went hiking Friday. We went hiking so long on Friday that we didn't come back till Saturday. No, we didn't get lost, although at times it felt like that. We went hiking in the Trapper's Creek Wilderness. And it was. It was awesome. How many, anybody been there? Trapper's Creek Wilderness. That's what it's like. It's so wilderness that nobody's been there. And the trails looked like that. And so we said, okay, we're going to overnight on Observation Peak. And what a, what a sight to see. It was beautiful up there. It was a six-mountain morning. Now, sometimes when I drive to work and I hit about Glenwood area over here, and if it's a beautiful, clear morning, I can, I can see four mountain peaks. There's, there's St. Helens and Adams and Hood, and just over the shoulder of St. Helens, if it's real clear, I can even see Rainier, and it's a four-mountain morning, and that's a beautiful morning. Up top of Observation Peak, we saw Jefferson, we saw Bachelor. It was a six-mountain morning, and it was beautiful. But... We wondered at times if we were actually going to get there. And we wondered at one point how it was we were going to find our way home. You see, there are trails, and typically you have a map that shows the trails. And uh, generally from the map and the way the trails go, and one trail intersection to the next, and the trail's often pretty obvious in these hiking areas, you can find your way. It wasn't like that. We had heard there was a little bit of snow on the trail, but we'd passed some places where there was a little bit of snow on the trail. You just cross over the snow. It's a few feet of snow, and you're back on the trail again, no problem. Well, some other hikers that we saw up there had told us areas where they had turned back because there was a snow field, and they couldn't find the trail. And it's nice. I want to be hiking. I want to be walking. I want to be moving forward, but I can't find the trail. Where am I supposed to walk? Fortunately, we did have a map. And fortunately, we had, we, had a, we had a basic compass and, and the GPS on my phone. Uh, the, the map detail there was not very good, but using that alongside the map that we did have, we were able to find our, our way through more than a half mile of snowfield where there was no trail at all. And we might have ended up, I don't know where. That's the whole thing about being lost, right? We don't know where. But we were able to, having... Having that help, a GPS and a map, we were able to continue to find our way. But life is kind of like that. That's what made me think of that. That as I'm, as I'm going along, you know, I, I, I want to go on this particular path. I want to reach a particular destination. But sometimes it gets a little unclear, where am I supposed to walk? What should I do next? Where, what next step should I take? We've, we've heard in Galatians chapter 5 that 
uh, those who live by the Spirit, we should be walking by the Spirit. We should be keeping a spirit cadence. We should be keeping in step with the Spirit. This is a very good translation. But how do I do that? How is it that I keep in step with the Spirit? What does the Spirit's cadence sound like? Where, and where does he tell me to put my feet? What is the way that I should walk, the steps that I should take, paths that I should follow, if I'm going to be keeping in step with the Spirit? Well, we have a map. We have a GPS. And in Galatians chapter 6, in rounding out the fact that the Christian life is not lived in a form of boundaries and checklists, but the Christian life is lived by walking in step with the Spirit. We have been set free by the Spirit to live by the Spirit. And Galatians 6 gives us some specifics as to what that looks like. So we're not left to ourselves. We're not left alone to wander in this wilderness of life. But God has shown us, as you keep in step with the Spirit, this is what it's going to look like. That's why I've entitled our, our, our talk this morning, Um, spirit specifics. This is not all inclusive, but these are some steps that Paul says, if you're going to live by the Spirit, it starts here. This is the trailhead. Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll go back through, and we will look at some particulars. One of the things I like to watch for is commands, things we're specifically told to do, and I've broken that then up into three parts in this section. I'm, I, I think this passage tells us that we should live graciously. We should live graciously in restoring others. Live out the grace that's been given to us. We should live graciously. We should choose deliberately and we should think differently. Think differently about others. Think differently about ourselves. Think differently even about the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So, so in those three sections, as I move through them, watch for those. Watch for living graciously toward one another, Uh, choosing deliberately right here and now because now matters for, for, well, now matters forever, and then thinking differently. Galatians chapter 6, if you're using a pew Bible to follow along with me this morning, you'll find us on page 826. Galatians 6, brothers, brethren, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, in due season, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See with what large letters I use as I write to you in my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. 
The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May, never be, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The first thing he says there, and, and, and leads off with a strong imperative, and I think that section is telling us to live graciously. The gospel of grace is to be lived out graciously. There were several, several uh, key words in, the, in that paragraph that I want to unpa- unpack for us. First of all, he says, if anyone happens to be caught, if anyone is, is caught, is ensnared, is entangled, the verb's a passive, which means it's something that comes upon somebody. It doesn't mean that it comes upon somebody just by happenstance. It may be that, that a person is caught, a person is ensnared, much like you think about a snare or a trap where you, that you use to catch an animal. There's some bait in there, and the animal is drawn toward the bait and then is ensnared by the trap. Often sin works that way, that we will be drawn toward some bait, some temptation that draws us in a direction, and then we find ourselves caught by it. But sin does that. Sin catches and it ensnares and it grabs and it controls. And at that point, the one in the trap needs somebody else to come alongside and help them out. Well, who's going to do that? Who is going to help the one who is caught in the trap? Who's going to help the one who is entangled and caught by sin and cannot see their own way out of it? It's going to be you who are spiritual. You say, well, yeah, I'm born again, I'm spiritual. I've been, I've been filled by the Spirit. I've been, I've been baptized by the Spirit into Jesus Christ. I have the Spirit of God dwelling within me. Roman 8 says so. I must be spiritual. Well, this is how you'll know. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. That one who is caught, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. You know, it's interesting. You who are spiritual, restore. Not you who are righteous, You see, the law cannot restore one who is caught in sin. The law only exposes a sin. The law only punishes. The law could stone. The law could not rise up. The law could not resurrect. But you who are spiritual can participate in the Spirit's work of restoration, of reconciliation, of taking that which is broken and setting it and strengthening it and making it new and taking those, taking those legs which, are, which are, are lame or those crooked knees, as Hebrews says, and making them straight again. That's the Spirit's work of change, of transformation, of restoration, and, uh, and even of reconciliation. You who are spiritual, in step with the Spirit, who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and that fruit of the Spirit is going to resemble the Son of God who walked in the Spirit. And He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to give Himself not to those who, who were just fine or thought they were. He came to those who were broken. He ate with the tax collectors and sinners because those are the ones who knew they were unrighteous and those are the ones that he came to. 
And we follow his example. We resemble him more as we step into doing the same. Easily, he says, uh, watch out for those who are caught, not to avoid them, not to shame them, not to judge them, but to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. I want to ask you, I, I was thinking about this. Who do you know here within the family? Who do you know among your brothers and sisters in Christ that if your, if your shoulder was out of socket, you'd want them to be the one to put it back in? I thought about that when I heard about the bridge collapse up on I-5 up, north of, uh, up j- just north of Mount Vernon. I've been over that highway many times. That's kind of in our old neighborhood. And, and uh, th- this one man, that went, his truck went over into the water afterwards after the bridge collapsed right in front of him. And his wife was trapped and couldn't get herself out. And his arm was dislocated from his shoulder. And he first had to pop his own arm back into place before he could help his wife. I thought, ooh, just, ow. Think, ow. Who would you like to be the one? Somebody who's, all right, let's get on this. Let's just grab that arm. No, you want somebody who's going to be decisive, who's, who knows what to do and will do it even though you scream, but you want somebody who will do that as gently as possible, don't you? Because it's going to hurt. That word, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, that it's the, the, the idea is that of to, to take a bone that is broken to set it or to, or to put a, a joint out of socket back into place again. And that's going to be painful and must be handled gently. There's hard work to do that will be painful among us, and yet we've got to do it gently as we can with one another. Restore gently. Watch yourself lest you also be tempted. Verse 2, you know, there's a, there's a double-edged sword there. How is it that I might be tempted? In coming alongside somebody else in the midst of their sin, I could be tempted to sin in a similar way. I could, I could make myself aware of something in the earlier temptations that led them there that we actually, we don't just open the trap. We need to, hey, look at that bait. That's a bad kind of bait. That bait is what got you here in the first place. So you need to back up from the obvious sin that now ensnares. You need to back up with the person. How did we get here? But maybe in backing up that trail a little bit, you yourself will be tempted by that trail. Maybe you might be drawn into the same thing. Watch yourself. I remember a pastor's conference years ago where they asked the question, how, how many of you men, these are, these are all pastors in the room, how many of you men believe that you could fall into sexual temptation and ruin your ministries? About half the hands in the room went up. The speaker then said, it's the rest of you that I'm most worried about. Those of you that didn't put your hand up, who don't see yourselves as vulnerable to a particular type of sin. As we approach somebody else who's been caught in sin, we need to take care that we ourselves are equally vulnerable. We are also fallen, and if not to that sin, to another. So we need to Watch ourselves, lest we also be tempted. But there's another kind of temptation which fits the flow of the book of Galatians. And that temptation is to bite and devour one another, to compare ourselves against one another, to judge myself a little bit more righteous because I have seen somebody else a little less righteous. And so I boost myself up a little bit that way. And that's going to get in the way of my being able to restore and be in relationship with them. 
because I'm going to be functioning maybe out of sympathy, reaching down to them, rather than empathy. One redeemed sinner walking alongside of another who can identify with them being caught in temptation because I too am subject to temptation. I know what it's like. I've also been caught. I've also been rescued by somebody else. I've also been helped to be restored. So there's that danger of, of if, if I'm looking down judgmentally, even as I'm trying to help somebody, that affects the relationship there and it affects the relationship with my Lord because I'm not seeing myself in the same kind of being rescued as the gospel tells me that I must. If we're going to live in this gospel, living in this gospel is going to be living graciously, living out the grace. Humility, it's been said by C.S. Lewis, humility is not thinking less of myself, but it's thinking of myself less and rather thinking of others. So when I see somebody else's fault, I don't think of myself in comparison. I think of their fault and how can I help them? That's genuine humility that's going to respond in graciousness to um, to somebody else in the time of their need. He says, carry one another's burdens. And in this case, the word burden is a a word that means uh, that which comes upon somebody. It's an unexpected burden or it's an extra burden. It's not the regular burden. Carry one another's burden and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Later on, it's going to say, each one must bear his own load, or each one must carry his own burden. To carry or bear is the same word, but the word for load or burden is different. It's a word that was often used for the cargo assigned for a particular ship or some other means of transport. It's a different word. It's not an extra unexpected burden that needs more help to carry. But in this case, it's that individual responsibility. In the end of it all, I cannot blame somebody else for what I choose. I'm going to have to bear that load myself. I'm going to have to bear my responsibility. So when the Spirit is calling the cadence, when the Spirit is saying, go this way, and the Spirit is saying, go to this person, when the Spirit is saying, reach out in grace and restore, when when I answer, when I do that, I am helping to bear their burden as I should, even as Christ bore my burden. And when I don't do that, then I am neglecting to carry my own responsibility, which was assigned by the Spirit for me to carry. It's interesting, sometimes the Bible will put things in tension like that. Bear one another's burdens. Each must carry his own load to get us to think about it. My load, my responsibility, my cargo to carry is the extra burden that falls upon you and yours, an extra burden that might fall upon me. That's how we bear one another's burdens and thus end up carrying our own load. Our responsibility is for one another. I can't shift the, shift the, um, the um, question to somebody else. In... Um, in verse 3, verse three, let me read verse 3 again. It says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. When we're, when we're in the midst of restoring, be careful what we think of ourselves. I described that already. Don't be tempted to think more of ourselves than we would. Consider Peter. You might think somebody was tempted. Well, they're, they're weaker, and that's why they fell. Maybe they fell because they were tempted Maybe they were tempted more severely or more pointedly. We might think the person who falls into into temptation is because they were the weaker one. Maybe it's because they were actually the most threatening to the opposition. I think of Peter. 
Jesus tells him, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Why not Thomas? Why Peter? Why not Bartholomew? I mean, whoever hears of Bartholomew, I mean, he's left out completely. This would have been a good spot for Bartholomew to, to show up in the, in the order of the disciples. No, it's Peter. Well, Peter was zealous. Peter was sometimes eager. Peter would sometimes jump out front. We know that. But Peter was also greatly used. That eagerness, that willingness, that, that to throw himself forward for what he understood the Lord's direction to be, even if he was wrong in it, The Lord would work with that. But that willingness to jump out front was perhaps why Satan says, he's the one I'm going to have to attack. And then by his failure, I can discourage him and all the rest. And how how does Jesus respond? He restores him gently. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? He restores him gently and in the midst of others. And you know how the Lord continued to use Peter from there in the book of Acts, writing the epistles, goes on. But I also think about that in terms of your own load. Peter, after his restoration, and Jesus tells him, now you're going to go where you wish, where you want, but there's going to come a time where people are going to bind you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he was warning Peter ahead of time that there would be a time when he would be arrested, that he would be crucified. And so Peter says, well, what about him, Lord? And the Lord's answer was interesting. It was, Peter, carry your own load. The Lord's answer was, Peter, don't worry about him. Even if I have for John to to live even until I return, rather than die as a martyr like you, even if that's what I have planned for John, that's nothing to you. You follow me. You carry your assigned load. You See, it just throws out all the comparisons, doesn't it? I don't need to compare myself to anyone else. I don't need to try to lift myself up by comparing. I don't need to feel more poorly about myself by comparing. I need to fix my eyes upon Jesus and follow him and walk by his spirit, carrying that load that he gives me and bearing the burdens of those around me. Live graciously. Restore the fallen in a gracious humility. Now, if we're going to do that, if we're responsible for our own choices, and if we're then going to have to choose to follow the Spirit, we're going to have to choose to restore, it underscores the importance of choosing well. This passage tells us to to live graciously, restore those who are fallen, That's how we will step into walking with the Spirit because that's where the Spirit walks. We're going to have to choose to do that, though. You could choose to do just the opposite, and you're responsible for how you choose. Choosing well becomes very important. So not only does this passage tell us to live graciously, this passage tells us to choose deliberately. To choose deliberately. I say choose deliberately because what you do today matters. It doesn't just matter today. It doesn't just matter tomorrow. In fact, you might not see at all how it matters today or tomorrow, but it will matter forever. What you choose today will matter into eternity. That I can assure you of. If I choose to walk by the Spirit, then I will be sowing to the Spirit, and I will begin to be reaping the fruit of the Spirit that I might not even see or certainly see in its full ripening until eternity. 
but the sowing starts today. This is the passage where, where it says, God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you, if you sow to the flesh, to the, to the natural man, you're going to reap out of that which is corrupt and towards destruction. It will rot away and die. If you sow to the Spirit by keeping in step with the Spirit, by hearing and responding to the Spirit, pressing more into that graciousness that lives out the gospel, then you are going to reap that fruit of the Spirit that we read about in the last chapter. It's going to be growing and being produced in it. But it doesn't just grow automatically because of time saved. The length of time I've been saved doesn't mean, well, I should have by this time this much fruit. I remember years ago, somebody, it, was, it, was, it was time in the Air Force where the Air Force model used to be, we're going to ship people around to new assignments every two or three years, and one of the reasons for that is so you cannot buy a house. I don't know why the Air Force just didn't want people to buy houses. So that's how they did it. But really it was a matter of, of new assignment, new assignment, keep stretching people, keep growing people. There came a time when there just wasn't money to move people around all the time like that. It's expensive. And so they were leaving people longer periods in the same place. But then what became very important was, well, I've been in this job five or six years. And the question is, well, do you have five or six years of experience in that job? Or do you have one year of experience five or six times? Are you continuing to grow? Just because I've been saved this long doesn't mean I'm going to have that much fruit. If I choose deliberately to step into the Spirit, to follow His leading, He will be growing. I will be sowing to the Spirit. I will be reaping that fruit. Fruit that you might not see until closer in to eternity. You receive, share all good things with the one who taught you. That's how it started out in verse 8. And then it talks about reaping and sowing. And then, and then there's twice more in that section where it talks about the good things and stepping into the good things. Lastly, in verse 10, let us do good to all people. That doing good things, the things led by the Spirit, those are the ways that we sow. How do I sow good seed? It's by doing the good things, which would fit right into the choosing to restore. The considering others, seeing the needs and restoring them in a spirit of gentleness. It's like a novice gardener puts seeds in the ground. You probably, you, perhaps you've done this with your kids. You put some seeds in, the cu- in a cup or something and you water them. And the next day you come back and you say, well, where's the plant? And where's the tomato plant? I mean, we planted it yesterday. We watered it and everything. Well, where's the tomato plant? It's not there yet. It takes time to grow. But if you hadn't sowed, even while you didn't yet see the fruit of it, if you hadn't sowed, there would never be any fruit. Likewise, the optimistic novice gardener is out there next week with their salad bowl looking for the tomatoes, right? Well, they're not there yet. They don't come yet. But if you didn't sow initially, there will never be any tomatoes. There will never be any fruit. And yes, tomatoes are fruit. Now, see? see, I knew that. Yeah. But if you don't sow in advance, and we will not fully reap until, until eternity. But this is the day for sowing. This is the season for sowing. I looked, and the snow is off Silver Star. Now is the time for sowing. Now is the time to be putting seeds in the soil. Now is the time to be sowing for what we will reap way ahead into the future. 
This is the time. The time is today. And what you do today, what you choose today, will matter long into the future. What you choose to do today matters. So choose deliberately. While we have opportunity. We were hiking. And our first day in, Bob was a little confused about where the trail was. If we parked the car here instead of there at the, at the normal trailhead, it looks like we're going to be a good three-quarters of a mile further along the trail. Only finding the trail from there was a little tricky. And when we found a trail, we didn't know what trail we found. And so we went this way a little bit. We went that way a little bit. Later on, we're hiking along, and, and um, there's, a, there's a path through. It, it's really a shortcut, but it's an official shortcut. It's, a, it's, a, it's called the Big Slide Trail. That was our first warning. Why would you go up a trail called the Big Slide Trail? The second warning was this, this um, trail it was not a normal Forest Service trail. This was a trail that was put in by the Mazama Hiking Club. Now, Mazama is a Native American word for mountain goat. That should have been warning number two. We took the Mazama Trail. But up towards the top, we got distracted. We got distracted by this big stone way up on the hill, and we said, could we move that? Because if we could move that, boy, what a splash it would make. I shouldn't be confessing this out in front of everybody. We said, yeah, we could. We could. That, that, that'd be something. So we, we went up the hill. See, we, no, we can't move that stone. But just a little bit further, we're, we're on a trail again. So instead of going back and switching back, we thought, okay, but again, now what trail are we on? And we went back and forth over the same quarter mile or so at least three times. We, we clocked at least three quarters of a mile on that quarter mile stretch. And at that point, my son, who's, who's, who's quite astute and probably better at guiding hiking than I am, he says something to the effect of if we get mixed up and off the trail anymore, we're not going to make our goal. We're not going to reach our destination. We're not going to make it to Observation Peak. And I said, aha, I finally got it. First of all, stay on the trail. But secondly, if we allow ourselves to get distracted off the trail, out of the Lord's leading, onto other things, which are often fun things, like rolling rocks down a mountainside. I mean, that's a fun thing. But it's a completely useless thing, too, when you think about it. What good does that do? Well, it puts the rock up there, down there. Okay, it's going to happen on its own eventually. The, if we spend time getting off the trail and distracted, we might lose sight of where the actual trail is. And we might affect our ability of how far we could have gotten in reaching the destination the Lord has intended for us. That was my point. Choose deliberately. What you choose today matters. You may be wandering off the trail, pushing at rocks that you really can't roll and won't make any difference instead of following that trail, the leading of the Spirit, where he would be directing us. Choices are not always about what's best for me. Choices that I'll make if I'm choosing deliberately are not going to be what feels best, what feels most comfortable. Sometimes the things that are best, the things that are most important, are actually things that are painful, right? Childbirth? How about, something everybody can relate to, how about a scraped knee? Cleaning out that dirt out of a scraped knee, that's painful, isn't it? But it's necessary. It's going to be a whole lot more painful if it becomes infected and inflamed if you don't take the time to wash the dirt out of the scraped knee, as your mother has lectured you many times. But it's painful at the time. 
Some of the things that we need to choose, some of the things that we need to step into, some of the things the Spirit will lead us will be painful things. But especially if they are sacrificially painful things, and especially if it's something that's sacrificing for me, but for the good of somebody else, that's in the direction that the Spirit leads. Choose deliberately, choose well. Choose to stand for the gospel no matter what it costs you. I was in the, in the, in the class this morning, somebody told the story about a, a high schooler in, in South Carolina who was told, you know, you can't have this or that in your speech. You only have to have your speech approved in advance. So he has approved, bland, Monday, boring, typical high school valedictorian speech. But he got there at the lectern. This is in the Bible Belt. This was such a scary thing to have happen. He, he got there in the lectern, though, and he tore that speech in half, and he began to talk a little about his own testimony, and then he closed by reciting the Lord's Prayer. He felt what was most important that he could tell this graduating class was, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who, who trespass or sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Put things in perspective. This is only high school graduation. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Wow, that's good stuff. Before he had an audience. And the Spirit led him to go a completely different than planned way. And God was glorified. God was glorified. People heard. A statement was made. There was an interesting time just recently, I guess just a couple days ago in Texas, same kind of thing. Maybe it was Friday or Saturday, Friday night, maybe, maybe Saturday, I'm not sure. But there was, again, another valedictorian, another high school graduating class. It's like the landscape is full of them. And this one, Apparently, they had warned him in advance, maybe the week before. We saw what happened there. Well, we're not going that route. If you depart, we're, we're tracking your script. If you depart from your approved speech, we're turning the mic off. And so, in the midst of his speech, he says, you know, he turns to his classmates and he says, you know, just last week, they warned me that they would turn my mic off. Right at that point. They turned the microphone off, and yet all of us heard him. And what he went on to talk about from there, the, the, uh, the constitutional rights and the liberties that, that free-born citizens of the United States should have that are under attack and being lost, he spoke to some of those things and the freedom of the exercise of one's faith and religion, how that's under attack in the country. As he talked about these things, he got the microphone off so nobody, nobody could hear him. But instead of that audience, folks... The nation heard him. Don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. They turned a microphone off in a high school auditorium so the story went to the national news instead. Don't be afraid of the opposition that you will get because if you're going to walk in step with the Spirit, guess what? There will be opposition. There will be those who will oppose you. There will be a price to pay. There will be some pain for the game. But if we choose to stand for the gospel... If, if we're going to choose to stand for the gospel, rather I should say, we are going to have to think differently. Fruit comes from choosing differently, and choosing differently comes from thinking differently. And here we get into the last section from verses 11 and following. He says, the problem in Galatia was that there are those who care about an outward appearance. And they're carried about a nice, neat, and tidy outward appearance that the culture at large, and typically the Jewish culture from Jerusalem, is going to approve him. 
And then these leaders of this movement to make this new thing called the church, which was a little messy, making that a little neat and tidy and fitting nicely into Judaism again, including circumcision and other requirements of the law, what you eat, who you eat with, etc. By tightening it up and bringing these wandering Christians back into the fold of Judaism again, these teachers' own standing was going to be elevated. They were saying, let's take this gospel of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, and he even died and rose, but let's dial back the ramifications of that. Let's not be so radical about it. Let's get a Christian faith that's a little less radical and a little easier for our culture around us to accept. That was the issue in Galatia. And Paul says, no, don't do it. Don't conform. Don't be intimidated into conforming to a gospel that will ease the persecution. Rather, press forward into this gospel of grace as offensive as it is. I was just reading somebody said that the gospel of grace is offensive. God's grace is offensive to the liberal or the progressive because it says that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the way, but he's the only way. And that's offensive. The gospel of grace is, is, is offensive to a conservative as well who says, what do you mean a person can't be good enough? What do you mean to say that I'm that bad that only Jesus could save me? It's offensive. No, I'm good. I'm moral. I, I, I keep the rules. I do all these things. What do you mean I need Jesus? That's offensive as well. The gospel will be offensive. It will be a stumbling point. And yet the gospel is our only hope. We need to think differently. And so, so he says a couple of things here. May I never boast, in verse 14, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world. There's been a separation here. I have been rejected by the world, I am crucified to the world, and also I have turned from the world to greater things. The world is crucified to me. I realize that that is death, and I press on to higher ground. Higher than observation peak. I press, on, I press on to that upward call of why I was redeemed by God in Christ Jesus. His purpose is my purpose. I am going to walk by his spirit so that I already begin to step into that eternal life which I have been saved for and which is ahead of me all into the future. I need to think differently about the circumstances around me. The last point I want to make, it's an obscure little line where Paul has contrasted their desiring to be circumcised by the law, make a good showing externally. He says what really matters is a new creation. And then he goes, he goes on to say, verse 17, let no one cause me trouble for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Circumcision, you say? You want to know the circumcision that matters, you say? You want to know the marks of faith that matter. Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. In the context of circumcision, I bear in my body the mark of faith that I believe and follow Jesus and I've laid my own flesh on the line for it. It has cost me something. It has cost me something. But nothing that I regret Nothing that hasn't been worth it and more because I know whom I believe am committed and, and, and he, he is able to keep all that I have committed unto him 
against that day. I will bear in my body circumcision or religious expression. That is not the point. I will lay down my life for the one who laid his life down for me. We need to think differently concerning the gospel versus religion, that you are fully accepted by God, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus is for us, that he is our savior, he is our intercessor. We need to think differently about our circumcision. What if, as the song says, blessings come by raindrops, that healing comes through tears? What if those greatest disappointments are actually used by God to to press us near to him? That the things of life cannot satisfy and only he can. What if what some would call suffering, what if what some would even call God has abandoned you, Things like that which the Son of God, Jesus, sacrificially endured to show us God's love and become our Savior. What if the very things that we would ask in our own circumstances that we would ask God to change, what if those very things are the things that would make God's grace shine even brighter out of our lives? What if the present hardship that I might beg God to change is actually where his circumcision will occur in my life. And in those circumstances that are so uncomfortable, my old flesh is scraped away so that more of Christ would be evident in me. We need to think differently. Because out of thinking differently about the gospel and what Christ has done for us and what really matters in life and what really doesn't, that's where we're going to learn to choose deliberately. And when we choose deliberately that it's not about me, it's not for me, it's not for what I am going to get, it's how would I give myself the way that Jesus gave himself. As I step into that, I step into knowing him, and fruit is being, is, is, is being grown as that seed is being sown. And it's there that I will live all the more in living graciously toward others, restoring others even as I was restored by Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, you know that in this room this morning there are choices to be made. There are things, Lord, that are set before us that we need to choose. There are things that have been distracting, like a rock on a hill that seems like it would be fun to roll, like a a shortcut that loses sight of where the trail now actually is. Lord, there are distractions in our life that may seem innocent of themselves, but have drawn and enticed us away from your leading, and that's the first place of danger. Lord, if there's something like that right now, Lord, that we need to repent of, Father, bring that into mind. And instead, Father, would you lead us by your Spirit? into one way, even today, that we could take a step forward in living your grace toward somebody else. Father, that as we choose to live your grace to another person, to see their need rather than our own, Lord, that there, there you'd be producing more of your fruit in us. Father, use us not only in being saved by your gospel, but Father, would you grow us in your gospel and that from us, Lord, it would grow to others. This we pray in Jesus' name. And all who believe said, Amen. In a moment, the, uh, uh, the offering will be taken. And um, 
It's just a great opportunity for us to respond to the great